It's Positive Spark Plug time, and I'm your host, Candace, and I'm so excited for you guys today, for you are going to be hearing Derek's story. Derek shares his story about growing up in a religious household, how he struggled throughout his college years with his faith, how he developed a relationship with God, how he became a pastor, how even though through the work of God and serving on Sundays, he still felt anxiety and depression and even to the point where he carried a knife around just in case a moment came where he felt he needed to take his life. This is such an inspirational story. He talks about poetry, writing, uh, spoken word, and he even shares his newest poem. I am so excited for you guys to listen. Go take a listen now. Hello, Derek. How are you? Hey, Candice. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's, it's a good day today. I am so excited to have you on my show. Thank you for reaching out and, and offering to be a guest. I'm really excited to hear your story. Um, it sounds by just uh, the brief talk that we've had that you have a, a, a story that can connect with uh, quite a bit of people um, and could be a voice for a lot of people that might need it. So I'm excited to dive in and learn all that um, you have to share and also learn about you and your story. So thank you very much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, to start off, I'd like to have a fun question to ask, and that is, um, what three emojis best describe you or are your favorite and why? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Um, well, I, one emoji that I use a lot is it's not necessarily a smiling emoji. It's the emoji where the character is kind of like they did something wrong and all you see is uh, the, the character's teeth. And so his mouth is pulled back. And so every time, for instance, my wife says something or texts me something and I did something wrong, then I'll text that back to her. Uh, that's number one. Number two is, uh, I guess it's the rock star emoji. I guess that's what it is. So instead of thumbs up, um, and when people are asking how I'm doing, yep, I'll do that. I'll do the, the little rock star emoji. And then um, because of some of my different spheres of life, I guess, um, I also use the um, pencil emoji a lot um, because I'm a writer as well. And so, um, oh. that yeah, that becomes a, uh, a generic kind of like the, you know, um, aloha type greeting. My pen, the pencil is now a... Uh, hello, goodbye, I'm okay, and um, people don't know what I mean, and then I usually have to dive deeper. But those are the three emojis, yeah. I like them, I like them. There's two on there that I've never heard, and the one is the pencil, and I like it, because obviously it connects with you and you're writing your poetry. Um, yeah. But also the, the teeth pulled back one, that yeah. is funny. That's funny, like, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. That's good, that is good. Um, so. 
for uh, I want to get to know you a little bit more, but also for my listeners to get to know you, you are a pastor, a write, a writer, and a poet. Is being a pastor what you do, or do you have another job? Um, can you can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and kind of like your your upbringing? Yeah. Um, gosh, where can I start? I mean, I grew up I grew up Catholic. Um, being Filipino, um, most of us Filipinos usually grow up Catholic because that's the influence of Spain, uh, if you will, when Spain conquered the Philippines and a lot of, uh, you know, the, the old school folks, they just adopted the, the religion that was, um, of Rome. And so, uh, Spain, Rome, all that. Um, and, and so that, uh, was, uh, my upbringing. And then there was a season when um before i got to college uh that i attended a protestant church um never in my life experienced what i had experienced with a live band I, you know i'm i'm extremely into music and so growing up catholic it was all voice it was very static and you know not to knock the catholic faith um i think it's very authentic i think a lot of people who follow the catholic tradition of christianity um have an amazing connection uh, to religiosity, it was just for me, it, I just wasn't, I didn't feel a connection to God in yeah. my upbringing. And so when I went to this Protestant church with live band, guitars, drums, I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? So I, I, I guess you would say I didn't fall in love with God in that moment. I fell in love with the music and just the experience of it. And so I guess you could say back in 94, um, that's when I had my come to Jesus moment, if you will. Um, but shortly after, about a year and a half later, a year, maybe I graduated from high school and went into college and I immediately just left faith altogether. And I guess that's the story of a lot of college students who grew up in church. Um, but, you know, uh, throughout my college career, I was I would I was I wouldn't consider myself an atheist. Um, I was just a person who believed that there was a God. Just I wasn't sure what kind of practice that would be. And so I had a lot of friends who were Muslim. Um, you know, uh, Rastafari, uh, Rastafarianism, yeah. they practice Rastafarianism, um, Hindu, Buddhist, of course. And, um, and the, the older I got and closer I got toward graduation, I felt like, okay, if I'm going to take God serious, then I got to choose. Um, and that was something that I felt like I didn't have growing up. I didn't have a choice. And so, um, in my study of world religions, it seemed like the story of Jesus just kept peeking his head throughout all the narratives of religion, at least the major religions. Um, whether it be Islam, um, obviously Christianity, Catholicism, even yep. um, in, in the Rasta faith, you know, Jesus is there. Um, and so I just decided to give Jesus a chance. And to make a long story short, I it, it just stuck. I love, uh, for me, it was the human example that Jesus left in the Gospels. Uh, never mind for a moment him, the claim of him being God. It, for me, it was just, man, this guy led an amazing life. He was inclusive. You know, he embraced people that the greater religious elite were reje was rejecting. I was like, man, I, I just want to model my life after the life of love that Jesus um, modeled. And so, yeah. and then shortly after, I would say in 2001, 2002 is when I first became licensed. And so, um, you know, I've been serving as a licensed minister for nearly 20 years. And I would say maybe 14 of those, maybe 13 of those years, I was in full-time ministry, uh, serving as a youth pastor. Um, and then in 2014, 
we planted a church in Long Beach, California. And so I was the lead pastor for six years leading up to um, 2020. And uh, my family, my wife and I just felt like it was time to move on. Uh, we felt like our assignment there was done. And we took a season off. Um, and so currently I'm on the pastoral staff. I'm an assisting pastor now at a church in Culver City, California, on the outskirts of Los Angeles, uh, or I guess in, in the heart of Los Angeles. And um, it, it's been fun. Um, so that's my, I guess, religious ministry background. Um, I preach once once a month now, um, going from every every Sunday, mostly to once a month. It's 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 refreshing. Uh, there's like not that. that pressure. Yeah, there's not that pressure of having to put together a talk every week, and I get to truly, truly spend time in the community because that's part of what what drives me um, spending spending time um, in the community, serving the community. When we were in Long Beach. For a good chunk of our time, we served the homeless community, and that's where my my heart just burned for. I was so passionate about serving wow. uh, the homeless community, and I had friends. I still have friends to this day who are on the streets, and um, you know. And then being in Culver City, it's it's neat because I get to focus on that um, while our lead pastor does what he does, um, as far as and you, you know, and so. That um, all the while I've been writing poetry since around the same time I had my come to Jesus moment, which was 94. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, so I guess like most writers and poets, you can say we've been writing since like grade school, you know, when you have those assignments in, in elementary and, you know, but I took it seriously in 94. Um, so it's been a while now. And um, it's common even to this day when I preach, I'll, inter- I'll, I'll, I'll fuse poetry and spoken word um, into my sermons. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'll recite in different places as well. It's not just churches. I recite conferences, uh, teach workshops, um, places that are non-religious. Um, I actually help lead uh, an open mic group in Long Beach um, that's oh, been running. Yeah, it's been running for collectively, I, I want to say, more than a decade for sure. I think we're on their 12th or 13th year. It's called the Definitive Soapbox. And um, because of COVID, we had to switch to Zoom. And so we still have it. It's just digital. And so we average on Zoom, maybe up upwards to 40 to 50 people join in uh, when we're meeting physically, depending on our whoever our featured artist was that day. Um, we're upwards to 150. And so the numbers definitely have dropped. But you know, at the same time, our reach has expanded because we have people now joining the Zoom open mic from Argentina. Uh, uh, you know, there's this one guy who comes every month now from Washington State. You know, we're in California, of course. That's um, so cool. it's been, yeah, it's been neat to see that. Um, that connection from everywhere. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, um, what else can I tell you? Uh, I'm married. Uh, you know, I'm not a mathematician, of course. I'm a writer. I'm not going to tell you. How many years we've been married? But we've been married since 2005. So um, I mean, I guess going on what 16 years this year. Um, we have three boys. Uh, we have a teen in the house, and then one as young as eight years old. And so that's my life. Um, you know, one thing I forgot to mention is part of my role at the new church that I'm a part of is we're working to open up a coffee shop, and so um, I'm going to be in charge of that venture. Um, it's 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 phenomenal because. It's um, not where it's going to be a for profit arm of the church. And so it'll allow us to uh, reach more people, hire um, more people. I think part of that was on purpose. 
because if we kept it as a church thing, uh, because my heart is I want to hire everybody and anybody, including people who don't believe in Jesus, yeah. <laughs> especially people yeah. who don't believe in Jesus, Jesus. And I could just if we were a church entity, um, I could imagine some of the church folks would be would be maybe it, w- it would it would be a cause for pause for some of the church folks if they found out like a, an atheist was on staff or like someone who didn't believe like, like the, the, the church does. And, and so being a for-profit, we have to follow the laws, uh, the labor laws of California. And so we cannot discriminate. And so um, that, that's what excites me um, yes. because I'm, I'm, I'm very community minded and I want to build a space where the community can feel comfortable, where they can come and, and experience some sense of life, especially in the midst of chaos um, that we find ourselves in in the past year and a half or so, um, especially here in America, the United States specifically. And so uh, that in a nutshell is who I am. Um, and take that, unpack it how you want. And I like it. We'll yeah, so that's who I am. There's a lot that I would like to unpack. Sure. Uh, so there's, there's a couple of things because you and I had a little brief discussion before this podcast. And... Yeah. For anybody listening to this, they might kind of sound like you've had um, a pretty good go in life, pretty easy besides some hard decisions on, you know, deciding where your faith was going to be. But you you battled some some depression and some anxiety throughout all of that. Um, Was your was your faith? Uh, a, a helping hand in it or do you think maybe because you were so unsure where you were in your faith that it hindered you um because yeah like you're a pastor and you're there to help people um but uh you're also you know dealing with anxiety and, and depression yourself so can we dive a little bit into that and was your jesus moment a part of that yeah, let's uh, let, let's definitely dive in. I, I'm very open and um, welcoming of conversation like this. Um, no, so the 94 Jesus moment had nothing to do um, with kind of my experience. Actually, my depression and anxiety began the same year we planted the church in 2014. Um, okay. and, and so part of, well, I don't want to say the reason why we planted a new church but I guess you can say underneath it all, maybe it was part of it. But there was a point in my faith where I got tired of the Sunday to Sunday church experience. Um, everything that I read, everything. So I guess this is where my come to Jesus moment. Every Everything that turned me on to the way and life of Christ, I was not seeing in the practice of religiosity. Um where, you know, Jesus was always in the community. He was always, you know, finding ways to, to bring healing, to bring restoration uh, every single day. And, you know, especially the, the, the Western experience of church, it's always it, it's been so focused on the Sunday gathering, the Sunday church service. And, you know, I, I'm not saying this to knock that because obviously we do that to this day. But, you know, that's yeah. not all there is to yeah. the ministry of Jesus. And so I agree. I got so burnt out. And when we had planted the church, I felt like, right, I'm a big believer in the Trinity. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, look, we're going to plant this church and it's going to be a different experience. And that was refreshing for me to hear. And so we dove into it and it was exciting in the beginning. I I would say the first few months because we were experiencing people coming. I wouldn't say coming to Christianity. They were coming to an experience of God um, and they were... 
authentically experiencing a loving community that we were offering. And then, you know, we got into the rhythm of Sunday morning. And a few months of that, I was just like saying, God, I, th- I, I don't want this. Like, like, this is one of the reasons why I left. I got so burnt out, you know. And if this is what I'm going to experience for the rest of my ministry, I don't want any part of it, you know. And so I began that. So my relationship with God, there's a lot of arguments with him. Um, and I love it because that's it's okay. honest. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, that's okay. That's good. Yeah. Um, I lose all the arguments, of course. And I, and I, in hindsight, I look back <laughs> and, and, and what I love is that God allows me to argue. He allows me to share my, my, my heartbreak and my heart aches, even yeah. toward, t- toward like, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and so, um, and I was just like, I don't want any part of this. But at the same time, I felt like, okay, so we just planted this church. I have this pressure of running it. And I just entered to this dark space where on Sunday, no one, I mean, I didn't even tell Marissa, I didn't even tell my wife that I was going through this. I told nobody. It was something that, so again, being Filipino, being an Asian kind of uh, background, um, there's a lot of shame in our culture. And so um, I, I, had, I had that in the back of my mind that if I talked about this, I would be bringing shame to my family. I would be bringing shame to this church. I would be bringing yeah. shame to God. So I bottled it up. And so it was an experience that I had to deal with by myself. Um, you know, I started carrying a knife with me everywhere I went. Um, that was my kind of, all right, like, in case I, I, I go over the edge, I'm going to have a tool to take my life. And so um, that was my, 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 my tool of choice, if you will. If I were to finally take my life, it was my pocket knife. I guess it's more than a pocket knife. It's, it was actually a pretty big switch, not a switch blade, but one of those. It, it was a pretty massive type of deal when you wow. folded it. Yeah. So, um, and so I dealt with that um, uh, in the dark for maybe, you know, if I could fast forward maybe two years into it. Um, wow. And then we jumped around locations. Um, what, what provided healing, though, was, you know, in the beginning, we were at a middle school doing church, setting up, breaking down. And then we moved to a homeless ministry center in the heart of downtown Long Beach. And that's when my heart just came alive. And I was like, yes, this is what I'm talking about, God. Like, okay, this is what you were talking about when things are going to be different. And so, um, you know, it was a beautiful thing. And I just felt like... Um, the depression and the anxiety I was struggling with just started slowly disappearing um, because I was finding joy again. And I was surrounded by folks on the street who are going through the same thing I was. Um, a lot of my friends have mental health issues. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them don't have access to their meds. And so, you know, you never know who you get on a given day. You know, if I'm getting, you know, Fred, the clear headed guy or Fred, the schizophrenic because he couldn't get his meds that week, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was a really amazing time for me, even though I was in, surrounded ultimately by a lot of people who were struggling with the same thing. And so I found healing in that. Um, and then we moved again. Um, then we moved to our own building, our own facility. And for any, you know, pastor who plants a church, it seems like a good majority, their goal is to find their own space that they could call home. And we did. And then I entered into depression again because we moved away from downtown Long Beach. We moved to uh, the east side of Long Beach, was like, which was more of a nicer side of town. Um, 
And so, you know, I mean, you, you can, you can imagine the contrast of what I was experiencing. And so, um, and, and so, you know, that began, um, another spiral toward, um, my dark place this time though, I immediately told my wife, I told Marissa, look, I'm, I'm going to that place again. I was intentional about it. You're, cu- you're cutting out. I didn't get any of that. It's me. Um, hey, Derek, that, yeah. I didn't get any of that. That You kind of went all, like, blurry. Like, you cut completely Okay, let's, let's backtrack. What, did, you what was the last me, thing you heard? Um, you told your wife right away. Okay, so let me, let me, I'm going to say that again, then go back into it. Okay, perfect. All right. So this time around, I told Marissa, I told my wife, and, you know, because I, I felt like in the two years, um, I grew, and this is something that I shouldn't keep in the closet. And then I invited four other people into my life to be my accountability friends, if you will. Um, you know, four, there's no magic to the number four, it was just four people I trusted at the time. Uh, two of them were pastors from different churches. Um, another one was a good friend of mine who is now in the Philippines, but he was in, in he was on Hawaii for a while. Um, and then a good friend of mine um, who is now in um, up north, uh, uh, up north California. Uh, he works out in Stanford, and so um, yeah. And so it was a weekly check in with them um, if I felt like I was uh, triggered. And I was going into a dark place. I would immediately call them. Um, and all the while, I know that they were praying for me. So um, if I want to s- generically spiritualize it, I know that, you know, God had his hand on me, um, guiding me. Um, but because of my experience, and I think this is one thing that brought healing to me. Um, I began openly talking about my experience um, in this uh, area of my life from the pulpit. And so I, I would preach about mental health and the importance of um, finding help that, you know, it's okay to pray, but it's also okay to have a, have a therapist, you know, uh, because, you know, a lot of church cultures uh, going to therapy is an an ungodly thing, but it's not. I mean, it's okay to love Jesus and have a therapist. Let's, let's be honest. It's okay. I was just going to say, did you get a little bit of backlash with that? Um, You know, I didn't quite honestly. I think it was a, for the people who are part of our congregation, it was refreshing for them to hear because it's such a subject that's so it's just swept under the rug so much, especially in church. Yes. So, you know, I began, you know, I be, and because I was open to talk about it in public, um, uh, I began, I, I felt, I felt the healing happen. Um, and so I have no problem talking about it. Um, so everywhere I go and get the chance, um, I talk about it. In fact, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fundraising for uh, an organization called To Write Love on Her Arms, which is an organization that helps people who are dealing with anxiety and depression and suicide. And so, um, yeah, any way I can help um, this particular area of life, I'm, I'm all for. So, yeah, that, that's wow. my story in short. 
Um, that's awesome. I want to I wanna dive into a couple of things. Um, when you were first talking about kind of you, you planted the church, you were excited about it, and then it was kind of like w- one Sunday, it was like, yeah, I'm, uh, this is not for me. Was that, was that like the moment? Like, was it that kind of a quick feel? Was that like a, a, a sign, like, or, or a God telling you, like, hey, this is not for you? Or was it something that kind of, crept on and then you realize because for depression a lot of people it's like they feel it and then they kind of deny it or they push it off or they don't talk about it and then all of a sudden it really hits and then they kind of notice okay I'm in I'm in it deep other people have noticed it everyone's kind of noticing it sounds like you you kind of noticed it but it cut going like you weren't able to stop right away from like progressing in the depression for a little bit does that sound does that sound well yeah well i'd say in that moment that you know i I wouldn't say it was a particular sunday it was the season of spinning my wheels again because if you recall i one thing that i just couldn't stand about the church even before we planted you know the church in 2014 was the sunday to sunday and so i think that you know, collectively over the years was just kind of simmering in the background and just I was stewing in that, 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 that there has to be something more to church. There's something, there has to be something more to you, God, than just this Sunday to Sunday experience. And cause I'm, I'm reading the scriptures, I'm reading specifically the new Testament and it seems a lot different than what I'm experiencing. And so when we planted the church, there was this freshness in the beginning, and then when it felt like we were just reverting to what I once knew, that's when I just started arguing, and it felt like it wasn't getting any better, and I think mine was just the slow turn toward that, and then when I realized, or when I felt like, man, this is just the same, this is just, you know, pretty much the same as what we left, I was just like, I didn't want it, you know, and so... Um, I would have, you know, I know I, I described two specific moments where I was in a dark place, but, you know, through the, through the two years, be, you know, between the two bookend experiences, yes. um, you know, it would come here and there. Um, I think part of the busyness of, of life and church kind of masked what I was feeling. But when I had a moment to myself, uh, right. I would have panic attacks as well. You know, I would have chest pains, you know, I would wake up in the middle of the night, just heavily breathing, you know, moments like that. Yep. Um, now, like I said, I carried that knife everywhere, even like, you know, um, next to me and, in, 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 you know, under my mattress, you know, in case that this was the day or the night I was going to end it all, you know? And so, um, yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question, but that's kind of like that was my experience with it. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 did. I want it, it was great. Um, I want to because um, that led me kind of into my second question. You really you said a really powerful word that really sticks with a lot of people, um, and that is shame. And mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about that because. Uh, like you said, in, in, in your your culture, shame is a huge thing. You don't, you know, it, mm-hmm. if you talk about your emotions and your feelings, it, you, you, you get shamed. And um, how was it for you? Did it kind so between your two, like, kind of big moments, 
did you end up talking to your wife or someone um, or was it kind of like after your big moments where you were kind of realizing I'm going through this again I have to like was there anybody in between or was it legitimately just like you your mind and like battling it feeling good and then going back in it and being like okay I can't do it myself this time like how was that? Because eventually you do start talking about it. So was it pure silence for the whole two years until the second one? Or oh, did your wife notice with the anxiety? Like, w- were you getting them by yourself? Like, I know you said when you were by yourself, but I noticed. Like, do you have social anxiety? Or do you, does that kind of disappear? Like, does your anxiety kind of disappear when others are around and you could kind of put up a front? Not- no, so, yeah, so... Uh, because of my public speaking um, responsibilities as a pastor, but also as a performance poet, um, I, I can put on a mask easily. And when it came to performing, I mean, I, I, I embraced it and I jumped on to the stage, whether it was the church stage or the performance stage with poetry. Uh, so I, I, I you know, and, and if you, you ask any, I would assume most any Asian uh we are good at hiding our emotions. We are. Um, we put up a front, you know. And so I had a lot of practice, especially growing up. And so, yeah, it was just me by myself battling. And, um, you know, quite honestly, I don't remember the point where I finally told Marissa, but she was the first one. Um, but I don't remember, again, the exact moment I told her. Um, but for sure, it was a surprise to her. Uh, you know, and her being also Filipina, uh, there's she knows the shame all too well and so she she was she wasn't angry and that was i think what helped me move along um she immediately just i I, again i don't remember the day and the exact like some people know like they'll journal it but i just remember her not feeling angry her embracing me and her saying well let's let's figure this out you know you shouldn't have to do this alone let's figure this out now she part of her story as well is um, before we had our third kid she had a miscarriage and so she also experienced some sense of depression as well um and she used uh succulents and planting as her way of healing which now has blossomed if i can use the puns of the words blossomed into a business uh so she actually has her own little um, small business with succulents and plants. Um, that's, that's cool. Yeah. And so, um, so she knew what I was going through to some extent because she, you know, she had gone through it as well. And so it was, it was a, it was a great experience for me to, to, to come out to her and say, this is what I was, I've been dealing with. I meant I for her to say, it, yeah. like, did she start, did she then start kind of opening up more to you about what she was experiencing you know, through the miscarriage, because I've, I've gone through a miscarriage and I know how, um, how difficult it can be, especially speaking and, you know, not under, there's two people who lost someone, right? And, um, it, it, it's different on certain parts and then it's very same and similar in very Mm -hmm. parts. Um, did did you find that you opening up to her kind of allowed her to kind of be like, you know what, 
<sighs> this kind of is what I was feeling with, with what was going on with the miscarriage. And did you guys find a deeper connection within that, that kind of blossoming of opening up? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, you know, obviously I was there for her when she had her miscarriage to, to the extent I could be there for her. Yes, um, of course. But you said like she was putting a lot of her like into, you know, planting and stuff. And yes, yeah. it did blossom. But do you find that maybe she kind of was able to tell you some of the things that maybe she was holding back during the time that it was happening? Like, yeah, yeah. I would say so. And in addition to that, because of her experience, um, she was able. So for her escape, healthy escape was good for her to, to experience healing. And so there were times where she's, you know, I would call and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm having a hard day. She would be like, look, don't come home yet. Go somewhere. You know, um, okay. I'll, I'll take care of the kids. I'll take care of dinner. Go somewhere. Go to a coffee shop. You know, um, you know, go go treat yourself out to dinner. And so. For her, again, the healthy escape was healing for her. And so that was something she was able to offer me uh, where she took off some of the pressure of life responsibilities and says, hey, just go. Um, you know, she'll even she would even say, hey, why don't you know, um, you have your skateboard in your car? Yeah. Well, go skate somewhere. You know, um, she was very uh, helpful in that where she would provide these moments and giving me the space to express myself in healthy ways uh, to deal with my episodes and so i i would say she was able to bring that to the table for me yeah oh i like uh, wow that's a, a powerful woman you have there yeah that's, oh that's, yeah that's amazing that you guys were you know able to you know really be able to show up for each other and show up within yourselves and really just allow your guys's love to just go deeper with you know knowing each other and 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 wanting each other to really just live and love and that's just that's beautiful i like how you um you said like a healthy escape that is and then kind of gave examples but can you just kind of um go over just another what would be like a healthy um escape for someone who maybe is going through depression or maybe is feeling like an anxiety attack or panic attack is coming on or maybe um has had one um can you can you go deeper in that i like that yeah another tool i guess if you will um has been writing for me right so um on, on our podcast uh one of our co-hosts has bipolar disorder um and for him um you know with clearance of course with his doctors because he just couldn't take the meds it was just making him feel weird and so he found painting as oh, a, cool. a form of healing. So when he has an episode, he would just go disappear and go paint. And so it's similar for me where if I felt an episode coming, and even to this day, as I developed the rhythm of writing, it's helped where I would just disappear and I would go write. Um, even if it wasn't for a specific piece that I would eventually write or recite in public, it was just for my own betterment. And so, um, you know, having written for so long, uh, there are writing tools um, to better myself as a writer that has that definitely helps when I would experience certain episodes. And so whether it's just sitting and writing a bunch of haiku, right? And so with haiku, it's it's definitely reflective of nature. I mean, I guess some people don't use the old school uh, origins of haiku, but the origins of haiku, you're reflecting on nature. And so I would have to force myself to go somewhere in nature and write in reflection of what I'm seeing, whether it's 
the animals that are, you know, walking by or the trees or the wind. And so that was, that was helpful for me. Um, even if it was a stream of consciousness writing where I would just spend 30 minutes writing without even thinking and just letting whatever is in my head and heart just bleed onto the paper. Um, those were very helpful moments for me. And so for me, again, it, it's finding, you know, for maybe someone who's listening, who, who wants a tool, maybe it's not writing whatever. Cause I'm a, but huge believer. I'm a big believer that everyone is creative. Um, everyone may not be an artist, but everyone is creative to some extent. And again, yeah. this comes, you know, this comes from my spiritual background. If we were created, that just means that we have some sense of creativity in us. We just have to find it and harness it, you know? So I like that. I like yeah. That. Maybe someone's creativity is cooking or baking, you know, um, maybe someone's creativity and, and, and this is, this is the stretch, but I believe there's creativity in, in math com- computations. Maybe that's your creativity. And maybe it's, it's, it's whatever it might be, uh, whenever there's an episode. And for those out there, um, we all know what, are, when our episodes are coming, we all know when the triggers are pulled. And, and, and so it's, it's the trick is though, is to, to find enough strength to go into your tool bag and pull out whatever it is, whether it's a pen, a paintbrush, um, whatever it might be. Um, and, and, and there's also times where pampering yourself is just good as well. You know, um, again, I, I mentioned for me skating, you know, going on my skateboard, going on a bike ride, you know, going to get some ice cream, going out for, you know, again, treating yourself, reminding yourself that you are worth, you are worth it. You are worth living, you know, you, you are worth living for. And so, um, part of the pampering, um, reinforces that at least it did for me that even though I was treating myself, um, I was worth treating myself for. And so, um, you know, so, you know, finding something creative and also pampering yourself were two, two tools that I used to, to help when I would come across an episode, um, dealing with, uh, you know, what, what I was dealing with. Ah, I like those. I, I love how you said, um, pampering yourself, just, you know, knowing that you, you know, you're good enough to love yourself and, and, and you deserve those relaxing times and those moments of feeling of like, you know, you're on top of the world and, and yeah. you, you put yourself there, right? I like that. And I also enjoyed that you said you have to have the strength enough to go into your uh-huh. tool bag. That is so important because so many people... I find go around and they just grab tools wherever like, Oh, that sounds good. Oh, I like that. And they just kind of fill their tool bag with so many different tools. Then they don't even use any of the tools or because that they don't go in the tool bag enough when they do decide to go in it, they just randomly pick things are not working out or maybe it lasts longer than they think. It's because they don't understand the tools that they have that work for them so i love i love that you said that one of your biggest tools um it sounds like was being able to open up and and talk about it so besides your wife um how was it was going up and speaking about it on stage your way of introducing um your depression and your anxiety through your writing or did you kind of build a team and start talking you know, privately, and then it kind of go public? Uh, when it came to specifically the church kind of sphere of my life, um, because we had such a small team to begin with as a church plant, it was something that I had to just carry on my own. And so, I mean, it, it, it's not hard to relate 
depression to the scriptures because when you especially in the old testament you had a lot of biblical figures who experienced anxiety and depression i mean king david most notably dealt with depression you know after losing his son after cheating on you know his wife's uh, husband and that whole ordeal and so um you know even the psalms the book of psalms i mean it's filled with you know writers who are expressing their anxiety and depression and so it wasn't hard to connect my life with the scriptures and so to be able to present it to the congregation um was really i don't want to say it was really easy um uh, because it takes courage to actually speak out but when you're talking about finding a parallel because right it, it, it's church and so this is not like a self-help kind of mental health clinic and so every yep. sunday i couldn't just come up with the clinical studies of you know mental health and mental issues I had to come up with sermons that relate to the scriptures. And so, again, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard to draw the parallel because you had so many people in the biblical narratives that dealt with the same thing. And so um, it was actually easy. It, it was, and, you know, maybe maybe in hindsight, it's me just thinking, overthinking the spirituality of it. But I just felt like God kind of pitched it to me really perfectly. He didn't throw a curveball. He didn't do a sinker. He didn't throw, you know, a breaking ball. He just threw it straight over the plate and it was easy for me to hit it out because uh, it just seemed like it was set up so perfectly um, to be able to relate the scriptures to what I was going through um, or the other way around. And so, um, yeah, it, it was fairly easy. And the more, and I'm not saying I talked about what I was experiencing every single week, um, but the more I did talk about it, um, it was easier than to talk about it elsewhere, um, and especially in open mics and poetry, too, and that other side yes. of my life. It's easy to talk about uh, what you're going through because open mics are a space for people to just, I mean, poets. I mean, like, you know, I mean, we, we are emotional beings, and it's what drives a lot of our poems. I'm not saying it's always like this, but um, our emotions drive a lot of what we do. And so um, the poetry uh, space... Um... What was that? I, I, I'm I was going to say, you kind of threw yourself in a line of fire here because I was going to say, you said open mic, and I was going to say, it's open mic night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, would you, um, would you recite us one of your poems? Yeah. Um, always. I'd love to. Any opportunity I have to share poems. Um, uh, maybe let me see. Um, yeah, if you want to think about one before you want to say, you can definitely, you can definitely do so. I kind of threw you on the spot there. <laughs> no, it's it's cool. I mean, I'm used to it. Um, you know, we have these freestyle sessions um, in our open mics, and so um, I'll, also growing up in hip hop as well. So um, I'm used to being thrown on the spot when it comes to that. I'm just trying to think. I mean, because I have a catalog of things I can recite, but I think I want to. I've been working on a new piece, so. Um, maybe I'll do that one. I don't have it committed to memory yet, but maybe I'll do the, this new piece. Yeah. And so it's, maybe this is the premiere, <laughs> you know, and yes. given you're, you're up in Canada. We could say this is the international premiere, um, you know, so we'll yes, see. Yes, yes, um, yes. Although when I finally sit down, it may sound different months from now, but Hey, this is the first crack. Um, yeah, let me, let, me, let me read this. It's called Abide. Do you want me to just go into it? or? Yes. All right, here we go. Okay. All right, it's called Abide. 
sometimes sometimes I write to you as if my hands have forgotten their purpose. Carefree, untethered from their joints and sinews, you realign me like adjusted backs, cracked but filled with newness sometimes. Sometimes my knees buckle tighter than those leather straps that flog the backside of your kingdom. Sometimes, sometimes I build my circumstances on the foundations of generic Lego bricks that don't quite fit together. I raise my fists at the improper fit that I seem to always force, but sometimes, sometimes I remember that you still smile at my failures. Like a dad seeing his firstborn swaddled under the heat light of the birthing room, like a like a mother singing to her daughter the songs of generational recipes that she had to figure out herself because great-grandmama took them to the grave when she passed away, like lefties discovering the right scissors for the first time. Restored, renewed, rested, sometimes, sometimes branches dry up, snapping under the pressure of the morning dew, still life sprouts from its roots, Sap still slithers down its trunk, leaves still wave as you kiss its limbs, its hands shake nervously as it reflects on its seemingly failed existence, but you, lover of even the broken, the defeated, the lost, the sinner, the hateful, the pride, abiding in you, dancing with you, swinging on playgrounds with you, flying kites with you, serenading grandmothers with you, scraping knees with you, scratching calves with metal bike pedals with you, snipping vines and making grape juice with you, face shining with you, gleaming with you, green with you, giddy for you, abiding in you, abiding in you, abiding in you. Maybe I'll just leave it. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I won't edit that. I like that. <laughs> oh, like a that is beautiful. Oh, thank you. Oh, wow. 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 Oh, I'm going to have to. Do you have like a, like a, I'm going to get this all afterwards, but I'm going to have to like go to your website and like wherever I can find and listen to more of you or read your stuff or whatever. That was absolutely amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I have a website with a you know a couple of highlights of some of the, my performances. But I got I do have three books out there, uh, four if you want to include my the, one of the books I wrote about church. But I have three poetry books out there available in the public. Um, but yeah, they're out there. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get all of that stuff at the end. Oh, wow, that's amazing. All of them. Thank all you. of the books. Um, and your voice is so so soothing and, oh. and powerful and. Yeah, you you're very talented and 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 creating those pauses and and emphasis and things. Yeah, you gave me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, speaking of poetry and and writing, I want to know, um, and it might be a, a silly question, but are they the same? Are they different? Are they somewhat similar? What like what is writing? What is poetry? What's the difference? Yeah, so you have page poets and you have stage poets, if you will. Um, a lot of the stuff that I write will eventually be translated to the stage, but uh, there is a slight difference. And so, uh, because in page poetry, a lot of times you don't get the emotion because it's up to the interpretation of the reader. So as a writer, you know, you write with as much emotion as possible, hoping that your reader will translate it. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of, how can I say, in stage um, spoken word poetry, in the performance art, 
Um, there's a lot of ad lib. There's a lot of, I mean, again, it's performance. So you use your body as well to articulate what you're trying to convey. Uh, you don't get that on the page. And so in writing the books, because you know, at the end of the day, a lot of the poems that I do recite obviously started on the page. Um, but when I have it in mind that I'm going to recite something, I have to change it slightly different, you know, because of okay. the emotions attached to it and vice versa. If I wrote a poem specifically for the stage and I want to include it in a book, I need to change it a little bit. Um, I need to be mindful because what at the, because as a writer who's going to perform, I'm just writing and on my own manuscript or on the paper, there's no punctuations, there's no commas, there's nothing. Right. But on the page, you got to include that. So you can instruct without you being there. You got to use your punctuations to tell the reader where to pause, yeah. where to stop for an extended period of time. You know, um, some of the words that I might use on the stage would have to change um, slightly for the page just so it conveys the message that I'm trying to um, articulate. And so there, there are slight differences. Um, um, but again, with uh, spoken word, that's strictly performance poetry. Um, and then, of course, page poets are, you know, because I, I know a, lo a lot of amazing, pa amazing page poets who will never don a microphone. Um, they're they're just amazing at what they do with pen and pad and paper, and um, they will never perform. Um, and that's OK. You know? yeah. And so, yeah, again, you have page poets and you have stage poets. And sometimes they're both and but sometimes they're they're they're, you know, one and, and their own. Yeah. Yeah. So with for with you, um, when did did you always know you wanted to to do a state like be a stage poet because of your pastry, or did you know like doing your poetry and being on stage kind of made you comfortable? Like what did they kind of just go hand in hand? Did one kind of help you with the other? Uh, well, poetry came first. Um, you know, I had my come to Jesus moment, uh, 94. Right. And so I started writing around the same time, but my Can poetry you go back a little bit deeper into that moment. Like what was that moment? The come to Jesus moment. Oh, it was, yeah. Hey, look at that. Those instruments on stage. I want to be a part of this. That was it. I mean, it wasn't anything like spiritual. It wasn't anything like, like profound. It was, Oh, there's a drum set on there. Cool. I want to be a part of this church. You know, I don't want to be a part of the church that I grew up in. And okay. that was it. And, you know, um, if anyone out there listening is familiar with church, there was what we call the altar call. You know, the pastor said, hey, you know, if you heard something today that made sense and you want to come to Jesus, you know, come up to the front. We'll pray for you. And that's what happened. I mean, I think I was caught up in the emotion of the music and everything. Um, it wasn't until years, years later that I took Jesus seriously again. In, um, as I explained earlier, it wasn't until almost at the end of college that I took Jesus seriously. But it was also that same year I discovered... You know, so I was familiar with page poetry, right? In school, you learn about Emily Dickinson, Robert Frost, you know, yep. um, all of those poets. Um, but it, it, interesting enough, it was in 94, um, MTV um, was doing a series of unplugged, event, unplugged events, and they had a series of spoken word um, uh, performances. And um, I think the one that I was watching was hosted by de la soul a hip-hop group back in the 80s and 90s and i was like wait this is this is not rap but it doesn't sound like poetry either but they keep calling it spoken word poetry i'm kind of confused but i was also intrigued yeah and so you know obviously back then 
we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have the access that we do today. And so, you know, I, I wanted more of it, but I just didn't know where to go. And then, you know, a year later, when I finally got into college, there was an open mic. I was like, oh, let me go check it out. And then I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And so um, I started and I could see the, the space where I recited my very first public poem as a performance piece. It was the student union. Uh, I got my undergrad at Cal State Long Beach. Um, and so, um, you know, it was right in the student union next to this fireplace. And I got up there. It sucked. If I <laughs> looking in hindsight, I'm like, what was that? <laughs> you know, um, but the love I got from the folks who were listening um, meant a lot. And it continued to project me into writing. Um, and then I started going to all the open mics that I could possibly go to um, along going on almost 30 years in L.A. called the Poetry Lounge, DPL. Shout outs to, to the folks over there. Um, I, I started reciting there. I started reciting everywhere I could um, and then started getting asked to you know, feature at different places, different venues. Um, I joined a band, a live band, a hip hop band. But a lot of what I was doing was spoken word over music. And so... Um, but yeah, I would say because of my public performance in poetry, it, the transition to preaching on the, at the, on the pulpit, um, was easy because I had, um, as far as like the courage to get up there was easy now. Yeah. Creating a sermon was the hard part, but actually reciting it and, or not reciting it, but preaching it came easy because of my background in public performance. Yeah. Yes. So you kind of got into um, spoken spoken word in college, but that's also when you said you kind of felt, I, I don't want to say fell out of faith. You kind of just were, you believed there was a God. You just didn't know quite where you were in your faith, I would say. Um, yeah. Was there like a certain path that you went down? Like, did you go completely astray or... Like, did you still stay in a good line? What um, was depress like was depression then started? Like, I know um, like not depression, anxiety. Did you have anxiety during those times as well? Um, and then it add on to your depression, or was anxiety kind of attached just to the pre the depression? And what was it like in that college area of not knowing, you know, where you wanted to be? No, I, I think um, if I'm recalling uh, correctly, all my anxiety and depression, I think, was definitely attached to the pressures of pastoral ministry. Uh, when I was in college, I think, you know, like most people, it was a it was a time to discover who you were. Um, and that was that for me. Um, and so, I mean, I even changed my major. I mean, you know, given that I am of Asian descent, I mean, you're either especially Filipino specifically now, you're either one of two things. You're a nurse or an engineer. That was it. You know, oh, and so I didn't know that. <laughs> that's the stereotypical path of any Filipino. You're a nurse or an engineer, um, but nothing in the creative sphere. No, that's like a huge no, no. Um, although there are a lot of Filipinos who are musically inclined and they're talented in that sense. But it was never a dream that you were to pursue um, according to your parents. Right. And so I actually went into my undergrad as an electrical engineering major. Um, and I hated it. I was in that for two years. I was bouncing around trying to figure out life. And I was like, ah, this is, I don't see myself doing this. And so I ended up actually becoming a print journalism major with a minor in creative writing. And so that's what I ended up uh, graduating with. Uh, so my whole life in my collegiate 
career, if you will, was about discovery. Um, and so I embraced it. Even a discovery, obviously, of career, of life, who I, who I was at the time, uh, even a discovery of faith. Right? And, and again, I, I came back to Jesus because it seemed like in my study of the major world religions, he was the one that just kept popping up in the narrative of religiosity. And so I was like, you know, what? let me just go to the common denominator. Let me study his life and, you know, and, and the rest is history. But yeah, I think in that collegiate area of my life, um, I mean, if anxiety and depression was there, I didn't recognize it uh, just because I was just trying to experience life. I was trying to experience, you know, trying to figure out who I was and who I was supposed to be. Um, you know, and then around the same time of graduation, uh, you know, and that that's when my wife and I met. And then so um, that was another transition in my life. And so I was just embracing a lot of it. A lot of it was new, of course, um, to me. And I and I and I embraced it, you know, and again, I think my depression and anxiety was uh, attached to the pastoral ministry. And, you know, as I've become more aware of it and as I've talked openly about it, um, it's something that a lot of pastors go through. Um, Oh. I can't really, I can't really speak for priests because I don't have a lot of relationships with priests. Um, I just imagine their path is a little bit different than pastors, um, and so, but yeah, a lot of pastors that I know um, have dealt with it. There's been a lot of pastors in the public eye who've committed suicide in the past couple of years. Some pretty well known ones, um, and so it's it's something pretty common in the pastorate because of the pressures, I think. Ah, let's let's go in. Let's go a little bit deeper into that. And for one, I would not have ever guessed or would have thought that 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 was kind of a, a thing for you know pastors, especially because you think they are so close and and have such a strong relationship with with God or with their faith that you wouldn't really associate. You wouldn't think to associate the two. Um, so I love that you, you you're so open to talk about that. Um, I want to go a little bit into to, to the suicide um, because you yeah. did you you do say uh, you did say that you you know carried a knife. Was what was that like for you? Was it like a consistent thought for you to just always have to have it? Um, was there ever a moment where you were close to using it? Yeah, uh, for me, it was, so I would consider myself a person who's pretty prepared for things, right? Whenever I go into any kind of situation, I want to be prepared. Um, I'm the type to show up to a meeting 15 minutes early. It's something that I want to instill in my boys as well. In fact, we had a conversation. I was taking my two youngest uh, or to my two oldest to the dentist and I was telling them, look, hey, we need to leave at this certain time and here's why you know, your appointment is at one or whatever. Uh, don't show up at 1259. You want to be, you know, early to things. And so I, I, I would say I, I'm a pretty prepared kind of person. And my mind wanted to be prepared in case it was time for me to go. And so that's why I carried the knife. I didn't want to be in a space. And and as weird as this might sound, that I resolved in my head that that was the way I was going to go. Um, I don't have access to a gun. I can't imagine myself um, hanging myself. And so uh, the knife was something that in my mind, I, again, resolved that that's the way I was going to go. And so I didn't want to be unprepared. And so that's the reason why I carried it around. And yeah, there were moments um, where I was close to. And the, the, the couple of times that I recall, they were always in my car. It was never at home because I just felt like I couldn't do that to my family. You know, I didn't want my kids to accidentally discover me, you know. And so I, it was always in my car. 
uh, pulled on the side of the road, um, actually opened and, uh, you know, at my wrist. Um, and there were, a few, you know, a couple moments like that. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, maybe you can just say generically it was God or, 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 or something that just pulled me away. Uh, but thankfully, I never gone. I, I didn't go through it, uh, those moments. Um, but yeah, I, 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 again, holding a knife everywhere I went um, was, you know, uh, me saying I wanted to be prepared. But incidentally, though, um, I had I haven't had an episode in, in years now. Uh, but there was a moment after, I think, when I felt like it was it. Because there was this moment, too, where I felt like when my wife and I felt like we were done leading the church. Now, uh, if I'm backtracking, that would probably be in 2019 where we felt like, okay, the Lord is saying it's time to move on. I have something else for you. I just felt like he snapped his fingers and says, you're done with this, not necessarily done with church or serving ministry, but you're done battling this. So I would say that was maybe August or September of 2019. Um, so I haven't had uh, an episode since, but up until that time, um, I was still carrying a knife um, more now as a reminder that this is an option that you are not going to use. And this is how strong you are, that you can carry this with you so close to you um, and still not use it. That's how strong you are. And I carry that um, with me. And then, you know, uh, we announced that we were leaving uh, to our congregation at the end of that year. You know, we, we turned the year and 2020 just fell apart, right? And then um, Kobe died. It just seemed like Kobe's death unraveled all of 220, uh, 2020, unfortunately. Yes. And then, you know, you got the pandemic and then you got social unrest here in the United States with the death of George Floyd, amongst many other uh, police brutality issues and such. And so, um, but... You know, it wasn't until maybe early 2020 that I stopped carrying that knife with me, but because I felt like, okay, it's time to let go of this. Um, but again, it was a reminder that I'm strong, stronger than this, you know. Um, and I, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier that, that you know, life is worth living for. Um, you know, the world needs me. And that's one of the mantras I mentioned, an organization called To Write Love on Our Arms, you know part of one of their sayings is, you know, the world needs you, you know, um, you are worth something. And so, um, and I don't have that knife anymore. It was something that even before my episodes, it was a knife that I had. It was, I wouldn't say it was a knife that was passed down to me because it wasn't, but it was just a knife that I had, you know, for everyday things. Um, and so you could say I had some kind of attachment because I had it for so long, but when I felt like it was time to just move on and, and realize I'm, I'm done with this, I actually threw the knife away. And so, um, yeah, so that, that was my experience um, dealing wanna, with it. I want to go a little bit deep. I want to go, I want to go a little bit deeper with when you were carrying it to be prepared. Uh-huh. Did you have certain scenarios that you were like, preparing for like in your mind so like okay i'm going to carry this so that if like this happens or if this happens or if this or was it kind of like i'm carrying this so that i'm prepared so that when the moment hits i just know it's time and i'm going to do it yeah for me i never i, I never knew when a trigger would be pulled and so there was not a specific sarin scenario i was looking for 
Um, but I knew being the prepared kind of person I was or and still am, I didn't want to get caught off guard to if my emotions were saying, look, it's time to go. I didn't want to be like, oh, I don't I don't have it. Like, like you know what I mean? I don't want, you know, and so it was just whenever that time was going to come, um, I wanted to be prepared for it. And and so, no, there wasn't a an exact scenario that I had in my mind to play out um, and to live through. It was, you know, because I never knew. I never knew when I was going to go through this. Um, because in hindsight, as I look back on my life, there was really nothing. Um, it was because it was the because I was living in so much pressure as a pastor. Um, it just seemed like, you know, it would pop up at random moments, you know, um, even a trigger of when I would come home and maybe, you know, I'm also a, a very neat kind of person if we're trying to if we're comparing the rest of my family. Um, and so when I would come home and the house was out of order, that would be something that would trigger me. And I would get really, really riled up, you know, and, and such. And, and you know, um, and, and so little things like that or or if, you know, a church member would call and say, hey, you know, you, you said something and blah, 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 blah from the pulpit. I didn't quite agree with little things yep. like that would sometimes trigger as well. So it was just a whole spectrum of little things that could be. Um, okay. Yeah, and so I just never knew when. When, yeah. So when you, you know, you you started opening up, started talking about it, and you said that that, that knife kind of went from a transition from, like, being prepared uh, to use it um, to take my life to having it so close to me to kind of be a reminder of how strong I am. Was that like how? How was that flip of the switch? Because I know it wasn't easy, and it probably took a multiple of days, weeks, months for that to transition. But when do you have like a time where you're kind of maybe looking at the knife and being like, okay, no, this can't be, this can't be looked at this way. Like, and you your perspective switched. Um. No, I, I, so the knife was always like in my pocket, right? It's interesting because the clip that is on it where you can put it on your belt buckle um, or on your belt had broken. So it was always out of sight, but it was always on me. And so I, it would have to be an intentional moment for me to reach into my pocket, past my wallet, past my pen, pencil, whatever's in my pocket to get to that knife. So it was and maybe again, you can over spiritualize it. Maybe it was God's way of saying, "I'm gonna make it very hard for you to get to this tool that you're gonna use." Um, but it wasn't no. And so because it was out of sight, um, I, I never kind of romanticized. Hey, you know, let's do this. You know, again, it was just a moment. It was just those moments that, boom, it triggers pulled. All right, let me let me take time to reach into my pocket. You know. Um, so no, I, it was never something that, you know, I would look at and just say, Hey, this is how it's going to go. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, that was, that was, that, that was my experience with that. So when was, when was, when were a couple of the moments, um, within that, within those periods of, um, going from this might be this, I'm holding it to be prepared to I'm holding it as a reminder. How did that mind mind flip like how did you flip the script in your mind to use it to view it that way instead of viewing it as something that you're carrying to be prepared for uh, it goes back to what i mentioned where i felt like god snapped 
his fingers right um incidentally so uh end of 2019 i want to say it was like july august i had my first sabbatical if you will um i went six years or so without a, a legit rest at least an ex- an extended period of rest um i i would have every friday and saturday off where i was very good about telling the church and my leadership team look I'm shutting off. I'm unplugging every Friday and Saturday. Uh, I just need it. And they were great at honoring that. So I had my weekly rhythm of rest. Uh, but we had gone to the Philippines for a month. Um, and so I left the church, you know, obviously uh, in the hands of our assistant pastor. And she did a phenomenal job. And she's the one who ended up taking over the church, which which I wouldn't have asked for anyone else. I mean, she's phenomenal at what she does. And so the best person to take over the church after me. But um so we had gone to the Philippines. It was a moment to get away. It was a moment to just experience uh, rest at an extended period of time. And it was during that season where Marissa and I felt like, yeah, our time at our church is done. Uh, so we came home already with that understanding and touched down. That week I talked with our assistant pastor and saying, hey, listen, this is, this is where we're at. Um, and I think, again, with that snap of the finger, so to speak, um, it was that moment. So that snap actually was a, a month long snap, if you will, uh, being away in the Philippines, you know, it wasn't like a Thanos snap where it immediately happened. It was, you know, God snapping his fingers and it just reverberated throughout that month. And, you know, again, it was, it was neat to be in a space where we could process without, you know, the, the, the pressures of church, the pressures of our congregation. Yeah. Um, and it was a moment. And when we came back to LA, um, we both, my wife and I were just, yeah, this is what we need to do. Um, and the conversations that I began happening, having with not just our assistant pastor, but even with our denominational leaders saying, Hey, um, we're, we're looking to step down from the church. Um, and all the while, you know, it was that season where I began saying, okay, this is what the knife is. It's, it's okay. Like, like, I don't need it anymore, you know? Um, and so that that that's that's what happened in that regard, yeah. Yeah. So I want so powerful, so powerful, and I love how you know within within all that um, you know you went through within the struggle and the depression and anxiety. Um, you you talk about how when you got brought into like a, a church of like community more base instead of like that daily. Uh, that Sunday ritual kind of stuff, more of the community base that you kind of felt, um, you know, that depression lift off a little bit, that anxiety disappear and go away a little bit. Um, I love that you said that. How do you believe that it's not just um, due to faith, but do you believe that it's because of the power of connection that was with being out in the community that allowed for you to, you know, not feel, um, you know, the pressure of the world because you were more in it? Yeah, I mean, you touched on something that is, I think, greatly important to God, where community, um, I believe humanity was built for community. Um, Yes, there are moments where we need to isolate. Yes, there are moments where we need to get away and rest. I mean, Jesus did that rhythmically 
throughout his physical life here on earth. And so he was known to get away. He was known to, you know, disappear for a moment. And, and I believe that we, we need to do that as well. Developing a healthy rhythm of rest is greatly important. Um, but we, I, I don't believe like our bodies can't survive without water for an extended period of time. I don't think we can survive without community and community is important. Um, and, yes, you know, yeah. And so the community that, um, I began surrounding myself around during my 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 episodes or my dark times became my intimate community that I could, you know, because um, outside of that, my again, when I came out of my struggles, you know, Marissa was great at helping me through it. Um, but again, there's power in community where, um, you know, I reached out to my four friends um, constantly, you know, um, and they were able to speak truthfully and bluntly into my life um, because I allowed that. I, 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 I you know, I, it, it, it wasn't something that they forced onto me. It was something that I welcomed. And so I said, hey, this is not just a, hey, I'm going to check in and you pat me on the back. It's you need to, you know, you, you need to give it to me straight, you know, yes. you know. And so in that community and outside and I, when you're talking about just life in general, outside of, you know, this whole talk of, you know, depression and, and the importance of community within that, just community itself. Um, a lot of the things that we talk about on our podcast is the importance of the creative community that the three co-hosts were a part of. Um, and that's what we're discovering in the, with the guests that we interview is, you know, their communities, their respective communities in art, whether it's poetry, painting, um, acting, you know, baking, whatever artists we're interviewing um they can even attest of the importance of community because a community allows you to flourish because you have a support system um who will not only be there to pat you on the back but who will also be there to talk to you straight and tell it how it is you know um because i don't believe we were meant we were put on this earth to do life alone um you know yeah and so i mean again i I mentioned earlier too i mean even if and this I'll, care, I'll be careful to say this because it might be, you know, uh, you know, considered a heretic, if you will. But I mean, when you look at the belief of God in three, I mean, even the expression of him with the Father, Son and Spirit, that's an example of community. So that even God himself is expressed in a communal fashion, you know. Um, and so, yeah, community is greatly important and so again if for, for those listening who are trying to um, heal up from this um, yes use your tools that you know how to do yes for those of you in therapy keep going at it for those of you on meds keep going at it but find a loving and honest community that you can surround yourself with um, because yeah. it's extremely important and helpful so i want i want i want to go a little bit deeper into that because i love how you said i was i'm I'm open to them, you know, not just coming in, like, consoling me and saying, like, it's okay. But what, what, do you have somebody, um, because I, I like to say, I like to say, I know who I go to for certain things. So mm-hmm. if I need somebody that's just going to, like, console me and just, you know, let me be the victim for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know kind of what friends to go to. Um, I know which friends to go to to be like, hey, that's enough. Smart enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how important, like, how important is it to have a diverse community t- of support? 
And what are some things that you look for, especially when it comes to expressing um, expressing your depression and your anxiety? Because you don't want to, you know, just bombard anybody and it is a, a vulnerable thing. So how do you bring people a part of your team in that sense? And then I'm going to go into like the fun creativity part that you and your podcast do, because that's awesome. Yeah. But I want to go a little bit deeper into like finding a, a community of support to kind of help grow you and, and, you know, not feel alone. Yeah. When it comes to specifically pastoral ministry, part of it is doing life with other people. Um, and as you do life with other people, uh, you'll, you'll begin to know who um, will stand out as people you can trust. Um, namely, for me specifically, it was other people who expressed um, struggles with depression. And it was just having that conversation um, with, like I said, in my community of four, it was two other local pastors outside of my church, uh, a trusted friend that I've known for a very long time, and then another trusted friend. And so it was just saying, look, I know it's not going to be a burden to them because of the relational aspect we've already had. And so it was just as easy as saying, look, uh, this is what I'm going through. Um, and I'm wondering if you would be willing to. And so it was asking them first. It wasn't forcing it on them. And so they, they because of our, the nature of our relationship, they had you know the comfortability to say no if they felt like they couldn't go through this with me. Um, and that would, be, that would have been fine. Um, but the four people I asked all said yes. And so, uh, for me, again, it, it goes back to relationship and developing uh, a community, you know, this communal relationship, knowing that, Hey, these are people that I can trust, uh, and reaching out to them, you know? Um, and you know, and, and for me, it had to be specific. It wasn't like this loose kind of deal. It was, Hey, uh, can we, the, the five of us, you know, four, including myself, can we meet up once a week just to check in? Um, for me to say, this is how my week has been. Um, and then at the time, I don't use it anymore, but we're using Evernote as my way of journaling what my day was like. Um, some of the entries were great. Some of them were not. And so for them, as they, as I shared my journal with them, my Evernote journal, if they saw a day where I was struggling, it was their cue to call me and check in on me. Uh, so we allowed for structure in that sense. Um for a daily check-in um but then also let's get together weekly over coffee uh just to, to check in together yeah oh i you i think you nailed a lot of really cool things there that are very very important um that i think people um don't do enough and it's not because um i don't think people don't want to help but I think when we come at asking, hey, are you are you able to hold a space for me in this kind of circumstance or in this kind of scenario? Depression. I think especially when it comes to that, I think being able to ask if that is something someone can hold for you, a space that someone can hold for you is very important because we don't tend to do that enough and we oversight maybe something and if that person is already feeling enough you might just be adding to it so yeah. i really like that you you mentioned you know i asked everybody and everybody that i asked i gave them the option without any judgment of saying you know no i can't be that person yeah yeah that that's very important it's not saying that they don't love you it's just maybe at that time that moment or that subject is just something that they they themselves also can't handle yep. they would not be of help to you 
Um, and I think that's very important for people to know because if you just go around telling everybody and then you're like, nobody's helping me, it's because sometimes people are like, I, I don't know how to help because I'm going yeah. through that myself. <laughs> Or yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't, I've never been in anything like that. So whatever I say to you would kind of not matter or not make any sense. So yeah. I love that you said that. I love that you said that you brought structure to it. Like you didn't just say like, Hey, I need you as my support buddy. You're good with that. Cool. And that was yeah. it. You were like, Hey, no, I need you in these ways. And you were kind of very specific. Yeah. That, 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 that's important as well. Um, I, I love that you mentioned all of that. I want to get into a little bit before we kind of close off because I can just keep going and I'm, I'm enjoying <laughs> our conversation. Yeah, me too. But it's I been fun. I want to talk. I want to talk. It, it has. I want to talk a little bit about like your creativity community. So um, is this something that you um, like you three go out and like do yourself? You guys search for it, like express a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the podcast it's called Breathe Faith and Creativity, um, and it's currently on season two. Now, all of season one, it was just me and interviewing different artists. Uh, mostly, I would say, yeah, everyone I knew from different backgrounds, right? So, season one had poets, a bunch of poets. It had small business owners. Um, it had a couple of people in the food industry. I had someone in the entertainment industry who cuts movie trailers. Uh, and so it was just that it, it, it was me interviewing people, trying to get to the core of why they do what they do, as well as asking the question of how their faith plays a role in their creative art. Um, and, you know, my background being Christianity, it wasn't always interviewing people who share the same faith background as me. So it was any sort of faith. Um, one poet I interviewed, she's Muslim. Um, I had another poet that I interviewed who's more agnostic. And so it wasn't just specific to Christianity. It was just some sort of faith as a whole. Yeah. Um, and then we were going to launch or I was going to launch season two and then COVID hit. And so it just kind of just t took the air out of my creative juices. And so it went dormant for about a year. Um, but I knew that it was something I had to get back to. At the same time, I knew it was something that I could not do alone. Um, so I invited my friends, the one that I had, uh, mentioned earlier who has bipolar disorder who's a painter and then another guy who's a voice actor um and so the three of us i mean now that there's the three of us our network has expanded tremendously because now there's three people versus just the one trying to reach out to people yeah um yeah and so it's the same kind of uh kind of you know theme where we interview guests from different walks of life different faith backgrounds but still, to, to, to get to the core of why they do what they do in the creative art, as well as um, ask the question how faith plays a role in their creative art. And so the format's a little bit different. Um, it went to averaging 30 to 40 minutes per episode to now almost an hour and a half just because there's so, much, so many of us. And so what we usually do is one of us will interview a guest, um, and then we'll talk about the interview. Um, so it's us kind of checking in if you know if i want to do the runtime right it's the intro it's us checking in with each other um because the three of us have already heard the interview beforehand we'll take one theme and kind of talk about that in detail on the front end so maybe you know one week it'll be perseverance another week it will be um 
you know, how to handle depression or anxiety, whatever it might be. It's always based on some of the topics that come up from the interview itself. Um, then we'll play the interview. We'll hear the interview in its entirety. And then we'll wrap up the show kind of recapping that interview. So diving into a couple of more, maybe three more subjects that was brought up in the interview. And then we'll close the show. Um, and so that's the format of ours. Um, again, we're in the midst of season two. I think we're like three, four episodes in of the season. We launched two at the end of December. Um, and then uh, we'll have three in January. Um, we're trying to do it like because January has um, five Mondays, yep. we wanted to fill the time. And so, but we generally, because it's so lengthy now, uh, we generally try to do two a month. Um, but we did talk about doing bonus episodes where we'll do like five, 10 minute episodes in between where each of us would break down tips and tricks of our craft. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, this, uh, the first one that we're going to do is I'm going to do um, three tips on how to get out of writer's block. Um, and then, of course, Chris, the other co-host, he'll do tips on painting. And then um, Kevin, who's the voice actor, he'll do tips on, you know, um, how to prepare your voice for performances or whatnot. And so we'll try to do these like five minute tips and tricks in between the full length episodes. Um, so, yeah. And again, it, it, it's a way to build creative community. Um you know, and give a voice or a platform for people out there to share, you know, what they're doing in their life um, to all of the listeners who tune into our podcast and just to give them a space to, you know, extended notoriety, if you will, extended space to, to put their work out there. Yeah. Yes. I like that. that is, I like that. Like the way that you do that, like the way you put up your platform, like you, you choose a topic, you guys, you three chat about it. That would yeah. be, that's very cool. Especially because the one of you guys, I know you guys all watch it and listen to it, but the one of you guys kind of got to feel the energy of the person and was actually, yeah. you know what I mean? So that's, that's neat because they can kind of bring their energy into like mm -hmm. the, the topic and they know yeah. how the person spoke about it or if it was more deeper than what maybe you guys were you guys think it was or like no that was actually that's really cool that's really yeah really cool. yeah I, I like it's, that it's been fun um it's obviously a lot more in you know there's a lot more detail behind it because it's not just me and, and a guest anymore it's yeah. me and a, you know a, a team and so there's a lot more work in producing it for sure um more equipment especially in the covid era where we're not in the same room when we record you know yeah. um I mean, hopefully the day will come when we do our portion, uh, we can be in the same room to record, uh, yes. but you know, that time will come sooner than later. And, yes, um, yes, yes. yeah, so, but it's been fun for sure. Uh, that is amazing. Um, I just have a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Uh, the first one is, is where can my listeners find you? Any of your services, your books, uh, your, uh, your social handles, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so the main space where you can find my work and examples of me performing is my website, which is my first and last name. It's D-E-R-R-I-C-K-E-N-G-O-Y dot U-S, uh, dot U-S, not dot com or dot net or dot org. It's dot U-S, so Derek Engoy dot U-S. Um, I, I mean, I have a, a few socials out there, but my main activity is on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Derek Engoy Poetry. So it's D-E-R-R-I-C-K-E-N-G-O-Y, poetry. Um, and that's where uh, you can find me. 
Um, and then you can link from there to everywhere else. Um, the pod- the podcast has its own. It's at breathe.podcast um, on Instagram. So breathe.podcast. And so those are the three main areas, uh, two IG handles as well as my website. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, my final question uh, for you, but before I, I uh, ask it, I do want to just say thank you again so very yeah, much for, it's been fun. for joining me. It has been a blast. Um, but also, thank you for being a voice for those who may not feel that they can open up and use theirs yet. Thank yeah. you for showing your vulnerability and, and showing it that it is a strength to to be of empower, of sharing and connecting with others when in a dark place and, and mm-hmm. feeling maybe alone or, or so much pressure. Uh, thank you for making the world a better place and really oh, just you're creating welcome. a positive impact. Um, bless you and and i i truly appreciate you and everything that you do so thank you thank you thank you yeah of course you're welcome uh my final question for you is what is your perspective on positivity oh that's a good question um you know positivity isn't an automatic thing um you have to put the work in um, unfortunately, you know, we all would love to just wake up and experience positivity every day. And I'm talking from the perspective of, I guess, the giver, if you will, the user or, you know, the self. Um, it, it's an intentional thing. We have to choose our emotion um, or our emotions at a given moment. So we can either choose to give out, you know, in, in this respect, you can either choose to give out negativity or positivity. Um, but that's really on you. Um, no one's going to force you. Uh, but you have to you have to choose that, and so um, and that's the beautiful thing um, I love about. And this might sound contradictory, I guess, because of the narrative of God. But God gives us a choice. Um, I think the greatest gift that He's given humanity is choice. Um, I, I believe that God desires for us to choose love, um, yes. but unfortunately, people don't at times. In the same breath. I'm sure he wants people to choose positivity, but unfortunately we don't. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's my perspective on positivity. You, you have to choose every day to give that out. Um, and it takes a lot of work. It's not easy, um, especially in the world in which we live in. And so, um, yeah, positivity is a choice um, that we all have to wake up every day striving for. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, we're not going to choose that every single day. Um, but that's okay. I don't think that the moments we lash out, the moments that we act out in anger, I don't think we should let that beat us up. Um, we should be forgiving of ourselves when we get in those moments. Um, and just know that we can wake up the next day to choose better. Um, but yeah, positivity is the choice, and that's something that we have to work hard uh, to give out. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And I, I also agree on on one of the greatest gifts that he did give us is is the power of choice and like you said obviously he is he's rooting for you to choose you know positivity and all that stuff but he also knows but because of the power of choice that we do have he knows that we might not choose that and 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 we might not choose him and and that's when i think about god and giving his creation that choice he full well knows that his creation may not choose him, but yet 
it's a gift that God still gives us, which is hard. I mean, but I, I think it without choice, there's no love. Um, and I, and I believe it's a, the greatest act of love is to give his creation choice. Uh, otherwise we would be mindless zombies and robots. And that's not who God created. He created human beings in the reflection and image of him, of God. And, you know, without the ability to choose, there is no ability to love. And so, um, as hard as I'm sure that was to, to compute that into the human emotion and mind, um, choice was the only way. Uh, that he could express love and um yeah yeah i agree because i i agree and one of the things that brought up uh when you were saying that is um love is you know love is such a giving and, and it's an action i find love is an action more of a than a word yeah um, and, and, and it's an action of do, done freely and you you nailed it on the head he did it with knowing that you know his creation might not choose him mm-hmm. but that's not why he was doing it yeah. he, he he did it because he wanted to in hopes and in, in in awe of all of those that do choose him and so that he can show love for all those that don't yeah yep Yes, I love it. Well, thank you so very much uh, for joining me again. I, I, I can't wait for my listeners to, to listen to this and hear all that you've had to say. And I am excited for them to hear your your, po- your poetry. Oh, thank amazing. you. Thank you for sharing that for the first time with, yeah. with me and debuting that. I feel very honored. So thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, you have an excellent day, and uh, we will be in touch. Yeah, thank you. Wow, wow, wow. Wasn't that such a powerful story? Derek is truly an inspiration, and I am just so, so honored to have him join the podcast and open up and be so vulnerable and share his story. If you guys liked this podcast, please let us know by sharing it with a friend, tagging us in the socials. On Instagram, it's at Derek Egnor Poetry, and mine is at Sparkplug Wellness. Let us know also by rating and reviewing the podcast. It truly does get the value of my guests out to more listeners and lets me know that I am on the right track to providing you guys with the knowledge and values and insights that you guys are actually enjoying and wanting to listen to. Once again, I want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for showing up and listening to the Positive Spark Plug podcast. It is now time to go out and do something positive and be positive.